Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Peter, and as you've seen, our theme uh, for today is celebrate. And this time of year gives us so many opportunities to celebrate. We've got family get-togethers and work Christmas parties. We're having a kid's Christmas program and Christmas Eve services and even a Christmas Day service. And there's so many excuses to get together with people and to eat treats and great food. There's so many opportunities to celebrate. And there are times and seasons in our life where it's easy to celebrate when we're in those summer seasons and it just seems like everything's going our way and we're full of joy and rejoicing and it's easy to celebrate. But it's not always easy to celebrate. Uh, sometimes things go sideways on us. Like we can look at the last two Christmases we've had. We can look at uh, the COVID Christmas where my family, we were all on Zoom trying to connect with each other and to have Christmas. And then even last year where we tried to gather all together and my sister was going to host Christmas and we were really excited to go over to her house until Christmas morning, her whole family woke up sick and she had presents there, she had food there, and we're trying to scramble and find where can we go to have Christmas? What are we going to eat for Christmas? Sometimes we go to celebrate and things go sideways on us. Sometimes when we're looking to celebrate, our celebrations can have a, like a, a bittersweet quality to them. We don't always know how many more Christmases we're going to have together. Even with our kids getting older, if you have children, you're going, man, how many more times are we going to be able to celebrate just like this? Even when we look at something like last week where we celebrated the 30th anniversary of building this building, there can be a bittersweet quality to it. I mean, we look at it where those of us that were here were 30 years older than we were then. Uh, we can also, but remember, those who were here and helped build this building who are no longer with us. And so sometimes our celebrations can feel bittersweet. Sometimes celebration is difficult just because everything feels like it's such a rush and it's so stressful and we're just trying to pull it all together and then it's all over. And how many times after Christmas have you kind of looked at, man, all that stress and all that time and all that money, was it really worth it? And even for some people, after Christmas and New Year's is over, they get into January and they find themselves kind of in a funk because they don't have anything else to look forward to. And then there are those of us who had challenging Christmases, or you might have difficult memories associated with Christmas, hard times that makes it more challenging even to celebrate Christmas now. I was talking with a friend of mine who said that all of his childhood Christmases, once all the family got together, everything just evolved into arguments and fighting, and people are just airing all their grievances, and Christmas wasn't a happy time. And so sometimes it's not easy for us to celebrate. How can we be those who celebrate well? How can we be those who celebrate even when things are difficult in our personal lives? And when we look at the world around us and with inflation and the, the cost of everything, all these different things we can look at, how can we be those who celebrate even when things are hard? And to answer this and to look at this today, I want us to, to take a look at what the Bible says about celebration. And when we begin to, to look at and study the Bible, we see that it is full of celebrations. 
that God ordained for his people to celebrate, to have these times of coming together as a, a nation, as communities, to celebrate, to feast. God ordained regular festivals. And so God's people were to celebrate. They were to celebrate every harvest. Every time they came together and brought their gifts to God, it was a celebration. It was a party. They were to celebrate every victory. And we can look even at the events leading up to the birth of Jesus and see all these different celebrations that take place. And so the angel comes to Mary, and she announces that Mary is going to be pregnant. She's going to give birth to a Savior, to the Messiah, Jesus. And Mary goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. And they celebrate together, and they rejoice. And it's this special moment of celebration where Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And even the child that is in her womb is celebrating. And then we can look at when Jesus is born and how an angel comes and announces and proclaims to these shepherds that there is a Savior who has been born. And we can see this interesting dynamic between these heavenly messengers, these angelic beings, a whole host of them that arrive to proclaim and to celebrate and to rejoice the birth of Jesus, appearing to these lowly shepherds, the lowest social working class of the day. And yet they are there celebrating, invited to go and to see Jesus and when they see the child, they go and they tell everyone and they're rejoicing and they're celebrating that a savior has been born. And then we can look at a while later when there are magi who come and they visit the child Jesus and they present their gifts and it's this reverent celebration as they bow down and worship Jesus. Now when we consider Jesus and we think about him, do we think of Jesus as someone who celebrated? I think sometimes we can kind of get maybe a wrong idea, or some of us might have a wrong picture of Jesus. We see him as maybe more dour than he really was, a little bit more serious. Do you see Jesus as someone whose life was full of celebrations? Because when we look at the life of Jesus, there's something interesting in the Gospels where there's this contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus, who are both of a similar age. You've got Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, and Elizabeth, who gave birth to John, who was John the Baptist. And there's this contrast between them. John the Baptist, he's like an Old Testament throwback kind of a prophet. He goes out into the wilderness, and the people have to come to him. And he's harsh in his words, and he's calling people to repentance. And he's dressed in camel hair, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. He's not really the kind of guy that you would want to invite to a dinner party. And then we see Jesus, who goes and travels and invites himself into people's homes, like with Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, I'm coming to your house. And we see Jesus eating and drinking and celebrating with people, with Pharisees and with sinners. And he's teaching them around the table. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God while he's eating. And we see Jesus being friendly with women and allowing children to come to him. And we see uh, that there's even some criticisms that are levied against Jesus' disciples because they're always eating. And so they come and they say, uh, John's disciples, you know, they fast and they pray. And the Pharisees' disciples, they fast and pray. But Jesus, your disciples are always eating. 
And Jesus even talks about this contrast between John and himself. And the criticisms that some people had towards John was because he didn't eat and drink with them that he must have a demon. But then the same criticisms against Jesus, who does come and is eating and drinking, they call him a glutton and a drunkard. Do we see Jesus as someone who celebrated? Because the biblical idea of celebration is an outward expression of a right heart attitude in response to God's blessings. So it's an outward expression of a right heart attitude in response to God's blessings. And when we look at Jesus, this is how he lived his entire life. So aware of the blessings of God with a right heart attitude. And so he's full of joy and rejoicing and celebrating with people. We see Jesus as someone who celebrated. And I want us to look today a little bit closely at uh, one example of Jesus at a celebration and to look at what we can take from it and apply to our lives when we want to look at celebrating. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 12 verses, and I'm going to give you a moment to turn there. John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, Jesus is, he hasn't yet started his public ministry. Uh, he has some disciples that he's gathered around himself. Uh, and he is, we're going to see in verse 1, he's invited to a wedding. I'm going to read this. It says in John chapter 2, verse 1, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you, which I think is just good advice for all of us. Verse 6, it says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. So here in this event in Jesus' life, we see Jesus at a celebration. He has been invited to this wedding. And one of the things I want us to consider is that when it comes to celebration, do we consider or do we want Jesus to be a part of our celebrations? 
Because I think sometimes when it comes to having a party or having a celebration, you know, people want to cut loose. They want to take it easy. They want to find some comfort. I don't know if we're always thinking about including Jesus in how we celebrate. If you consider the Venn diagram of your life and you've got celebration and you've got Jesus, do those two things intersect? What's the overlap between celebration and how you look to have a party to celebrate and Jesus? Here we see that Jesus is invited to the celebration. And as so often happens, when we're trying to celebrate, things go sideways and they run out of wine. And this is an embarrassing problem. I mean, for the bridegroom who is putting on this wedding, now there's not enough wine, the family, it would be embarrassing to run out. And Mary brings the problem to Jesus. And I find this interesting because whenever there's a problem in my life, my first instinct is, how can I solve this problem on my own without any help from anybody? I'm starting to brainstorm up ideas. I'm coming up with, I need to fix this right now. And yet Mary presents the problem to Jesus. The issue is that there is a shortcoming. There is a lack that the bridegroom has not been able to provide enough. It's fallen short. They don't have enough. And Jesus graciously provides a solution. Jesus graciously solves the problem. And Jesus solves the problem by producing an abundant amount of wine. I want us to take a look at this. There's these six stone uh, containers 20 to 30 gallons, that would work out to about 480 to 720 liters of wine that Jesus produced. Even if we take the more conservative number of 480 liters, that's the equivalent of 640 bottles of wine. Jesus provides abundantly. It's an abundant solution. There was lack. There was not enough. They had run out. It was going to be embarrassing. And now there is an abundant overflow. There is more than enough wine for this wedding. More than they need. Jesus provides an abundant solution. Jesus turns the good into the great. I mean, we could look at it. Jesus could have had them fill it up uh, with water and then he could have turned it into really great, refreshing water. But he didn't. He turned the water into wine. Why, why did he do that? Why did Jesus turn the water into wine? Jesus provides an abundant solution. He takes something good that we can provide, the water, and he turns it into something great. He turns it into wine, something that we can't do. Jesus provides abundantly. Jesus takes this earthly celebration and he uses it to point to something supernatural. And I want us to, to consider this and look at a couple of things that Jesus is pointing to from this wedding, from turning water into wine. Why did he turn the water into wine? I mean, consider, this is Jesus' first miracle. Think of all the people that you know that are believing for a miracle right now. I don't know that there's a lot of people at home praying 
for the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine in their life. It's an unusual miracle that Jesus does as his first miracle. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he turn water into wine? He's pointing in a couple different directions. I want us to take note of this. First, he's pointing back to Genesis chapter 49. And in Genesis 49, Jacob is praying a blessing over his children and some of his grandchildren. And as part of it, he makes this prophetic promise, this picture of the Messiah, of the Savior. And he says in Genesis 49 that the Messiah, the Savior, that he will have such an abundance of wine that he can wash his clothes in wine. It's this picture of wine being so common, so available, so abundant that he can wash his clothes in wine. And here is Jesus at this wedding providing abundantly for the guests at this wedding. Jesus is also pointing ahead. You know, the, the joy and the happiness that this wine produces for the people at the wedding is just a little taste. It's just a foretaste of what's to come when God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit on the whole earth, which we see in Acts chapter 2, the uh, pouring out of the Spirit. And now you and I, we are partakers of God's Holy Spirit that fills us with joy and happiness that we can look at and see that we have something better that Jesus was pointing to. We have his Holy Spirit at work in us. As we talked about last week, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I want us to consider as we look at celebrations and how we want to be those who have, uh, who celebrate well. I want us to also identify that there is a wrong way to celebrate, that celebrations can go wrong. And uh, take a look at in Ephesians chapter five, what Paul writes to the church in verse 18 and 19. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. And so we've received the blessing of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. And so our lives can be filled with joy and rejoicing and celebration because of God's spirit that is in us. And we see a warning, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Don't ruin your life. That we don't need to look to substances and other things to find our happiness and escape and joy, but that God has given us his Holy Spirit that fills us. So there's a right way to celebrate and there's a wrong way to celebrate. Uh, those feasts and festivals that God ordained for his people, they started out great where people, in a response to God's blessings, from their heart, they were coming and celebrating. But over time, it turned to where it was no longer connected to their heart. And it was just an outward celebration. It was just them going through the motions and just outwardly, without it penetrating their heart any longer. The celebrations start to go bad. We can look at examples in the Bible, uh, like Noah, who after the flood, 
Uh, he gets really drunk, and then he gets naked, and he embarrasses himself in front of his family. It's a wrong celebration. We can look at God's people, who after they're led from captivity into freedom, uh, they go and they build a golden calf, and they're partying and drinking, and it's a wrong celebration, and there's consequences that come from it. So we need to identify that there is a right way to celebrate, and there is a wrong way to celebrate. In the New Testament, it warns against participating in pagan celebrations. And even in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul addresses how there are some Christians who are coming together to celebrate the Lord's table, and some are coming drunk, and some are eating all the food and not sharing it with other people. And so there's a right way and a wrong way for us to celebrate. And so we want to be those who celebrate well. But how can we be those who celebrate even when things are hard. When we're in those difficult seasons, when it feels like there's a cloud hanging over us, when we're facing some really hard times, how can we still be those who celebrate? And I want us to take a look at the example of the Apostle Paul, who modeled this in his life, because Paul was somebody who experienced High spiritual highs. There were times when things were going really well for him. And he was traveling and planting churches. And people were coming to hear about Jesus and being added into the church. And then Paul also experienced great persecution and difficult times. And even where some of the churches that he had planted were not interested in listening to him anymore. And he was anguished by how they were acting and trying to reconcile with them. And so Paul uh, in... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, he writes about the spiritual highs that he has experienced. And then he talks about how he's currently experiencing something really difficult. And there's uh, this thorn in his flesh. And he's asked Jesus multiple times to take it away and to remove it. And yet Jesus has each time said no. And I want to pick up what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. It says, but Jesus answered Paul, he answered me, this is Jesus, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. Then Paul says, so I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. How can Paul say this? How can Paul celebrate even his weaknesses? It's only because of Jesus. It's only because of what Jesus has done inside of Paul and what Jesus is doing, even in Paul's weaknesses, that he sees the power of Jesus at work in his life. And so he can reach this place of maturity to say, I'll celebrate even my weaknesses, even the most difficult times of my life, I can celebrate. How does Paul do this? Well, Paul is someone who is good at looking back at what Jesus has done. He looks back and he sees what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished. And I want us to take a moment to look at one more celebration in the life of Jesus. And this time, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover. And they're in the upper room together. 
and they eat a meal, and then Jesus takes a cup of wine, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, this is what it says. After supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So in the Bible, wine represents blessing and joy and prosperity. That's why there's this messianic promise that the, the Messiah would have so much wine he could even wash his clothes in it because it represents this blessing and, and joy and prosperity. But here, Jesus takes this cup of wine and it represents his blood, the blood of the new covenant, his blood that will be shed on the cross. And at the wedding in Cana, Jesus provides abundant wine, more than enough for all of the guests at the wedding. And at the cross, Jesus provides his abundant blood, more than enough to forgive the sins of the whole world. And so Paul is someone who is able to look back and see what Jesus has done. That there is abundant grace available for Paul. There is abundant forgiveness available for Paul. There is abundant blessing and new life that Paul now has because he looks back and sees what Jesus has accomplished. And he looks back and he sees what Jesus has done in his own life and his encounters that he has had with Jesus. And so Paul is someone who is good at looking back. We look back at what Jesus has done. But there's more. For Paul to be able to celebrate in the moment, in the now, it's more than just looking back. It's also looking ahead at what's to come. That Paul is able to look ahead. And Paul is someone who had an expectant hope, an unwavering hope. And we even sang about hope this morning in our worship songs. That Paul was someone who knew how to have hope. And he talked about it And in Romans chapter 8. I just want to read these verses quickly so we can see Paul's view of this hope that he has, hope that looks ahead. In Romans 8, 23 to 25, starting halfway through verse 23, Paul says, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And so Paul has this patient and confident hope. He's someone who can look back and see what Jesus has done and what Jesus has accomplished. And he's able to look ahead with an expected hope at what's to come. What is Paul looking forward to? What is it that Paul sees? What is his hope in? And Paul would have been familiar with in Isaiah chapter 26, where it makes uh, this prophetic statement. It says, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet 
with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. It's this picture of a beautiful banquet that is going to be laid out. This feast that we are going to take part in with wine and meat. Where the cloud of gloom and the shadow of death are swept away. And death is no more. And in Revelation chapter 19, it builds on this prophetic image and it says in verse 6 to verse 9, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. And in Revelation chapter 21, it also talks about how God will wipe every tear from our eyes, how pain and death and sorrow will be no more. This is what Paul is looking ahead to. He looks back and he sees what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross through his blood, the abundant provision available for him. And he's also able to look ahead even when he's living under a cloud of gloom, under the shadow of death, even when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. He has an expectant hope to look ahead to see that there will be a feast, there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb that we will all be partakers of. There will be a time when that cloud and that shadow of death will be swept away and death will be no more and pain will be no more and sorrow will be no more. And so Paul can endure suffering and difficulty and still rejoice and celebrate even in his weaknesses because he sees the power of God at work inside of him. And so how can we be those who celebrate even in the most difficult of times? We need to be those who look back at what Jesus has done and look ahead at what's to come. Jesus reveals himself at the wedding in Cana to be a better bridegroom. The bridegroom is not able to provide enough wine. And so the master of ceremonies, when the wine is there, he finally comes and says, wow, like you provided some better wine at the end than at the beginning. That's not normally how this works. And it's because Jesus is the greater bridegroom. And Jesus is pointing to one day when we will be the bride as the church and we will be joined to Jesus. He has abundant provision for us. And so we can endure whatever hardship we're facing, whatever difficulty comes our way, because we can be those who look back at what Jesus has done and look ahead at what's to come. And so now, every celebration, every Christmas party, every time we're gathered together with our family, every time we're listening to kids in a kids program, it's an opportunity for us to celebrate 
to rejoice, for it to come from deep inside of us, not just the outward motions, but from our very heart, because we realize how blessed we are by God. No matter what our circumstances look like, we can be those who celebrate, those who rejoice, because God's given us his Holy Spirit. He shed his blood for us. We have his forgiveness. We have his new life. And we're looking ahead. So we can celebrate, even when we're dealing with chronic pain, even when we have a negative diagnosis, even when it seems like everything is going wrong, we can still be those who celebrate because we know that our God is gonna wipe every tear from our eyes and that sorrow will be no more and pain will be no more and death will be no more. And so we can celebrate in the now because we look back at what Jesus has done and we look ahead at what's to come. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for each and every one of us. God, that you, I pray that you would help us to be those who can celebrate. God, that it would be an outward expression of a right heart attitude, that in the very center of who we are, God, our, our hearts would be right before you because we see it's in response to your blessing, to what you have provided for us. And God, as I know, so many are walking through difficult seasons of life. They're facing hard challenges. And God, it can be so difficult and hard to celebrate. So God, may we be those who look back and see what you have accomplished for us. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your new life that we have for you. Jesus, we thank you that we have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we look ahead with expectant hope. No matter what we're facing in front of us, we set our eyes on you, Jesus, and we look ahead to the promises that we have in you. God, help us to have a right perspective, and God, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can have a supernatural joy, even in our weakness. God, that we would see your power at work in us, and we would be those who celebrate. We pray this in your name, amen. Amen. amen.